lovely notes from Giuseppe Verde mean. Time for another edition of Serie A Sit Down, World Football Index's podcast of calcio of the highest level. Frank Crivello here. Glad you've clicked on and gotten stuck in with us. Solo on the host front, as Richard is enjoying a little vacation. We will have him back next week. But don't worry, it's not going to be me babbling throughout the entire podcast all by myself. I did bring a little help. Our guest is making his record-tying fourth appearance on the Serie A sit-down. He's getting his fourth cap today. Uh, he is the founder of Italian Football TV. Glad he's along for the ride to help me out uh, and get through all things Serie A. Marco Messina. Ciao, Marco. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great. It was a fun weekend of some culture. I'm excited to get talking about it. Yeah, yeah, you know, uh, a little disappointed, 26 goals. It's not like, you know, 29 or 34 or kind of what we've had here in the last couple of weeks. Uh, a couple of couple of teams let, let us down, including my Milan. But uh, nonetheless, uh, 10 games, 26 goals. Uh, can't uh, certainly still not your father's uh, Serie A anymore, is it? Um, the amount of goals scored by Serie A, like the top leagues, Premier League, Bundesliga, all this stuff. <laughs> and I think this week was like the first week that Serie A hasn't outscored them. I'm still pretty happy. I think we beat Bundesliga and one other league, but La Liga <laughs> outscored us. Yeah, I've been, I've been, I've been seeing you guys do that too. It's kind of, it, uh, it, it, it never stops being funny. Let's just put it that way. Hey, so. they, they get retweets. I'm telling you, people are starting to like culture a little bit more. All the yeah. comments are like, wow, you know, Sadia's actually scoring goals. It's cool. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely garnering attention. And our good friend and resident cowboy of World Football Index, Dylan, is recording today. And he's a Napoli fan. He made mention of it, uh, you know, talking about, uh, you know, uh, getting a friend of his into Napoli. So, you know, that's good to see. But, yeah, I mean, the, the way the game's being played now in Italy, it's, it's certainly attracting fans. And, uh, you know, efforts by uh, folks like you and, and Michael – uh, over at IFTV and some of the English speaking uh, stuff that's out there now for uh, Calcio certainly doesn't hurt. And it's certainly been a big help to help uh, grow uh, the Italian game, at least among an English speaking fan base. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, some of the best comments I think we get on our YouTube videos are like, listen, I'm a Chelsea fan, but you guys are starting to make me watch Serie A. And it's actually not as bad as like all my friends talk about. So those kind of comments and just, you know, sharing the stories that we all know. Is, is awesome to hear. And you guys do with this podcast. So good. Well, we appreciate that. Boy, uh, you you and Mikey have been putting your heart and soul into this thing here at IFTV. And I know that you guys were just uh, nonstop every day with the transfer rumors throughout the summer. Uh, I think you guys had, uh, in New York, you had a press credential, some Serie A stuff that was going on in New York. And uh, most recently, uh, uh, you guys are fresh in from a trip to the motherland. So uh, why don't you take a minute here fill our listeners in on what uh, you and Michael were up to while you were out there yeah so uh, like you said uh, the city I had actually um, some kind of press conference over here in New York just talking about innovation how they want to grow their youth and all the media stuff that that good stuff that we handle we had a we had a few meetings out in Italy that we did to try to grow uh, ITV Italian football TV which is our our YouTube channel where we talk about city in English and uh, the meetings went went amazing. There's some some good stuff in the ranks um, with some with some pretty big uh, people out in Italy that uh, it seems like finally we're going to start getting around with some Serie coverage in English. And uh, hopefully we can help lead that way. I mean, that's our goal. Uh, we're not going to stop. Like you said, we've been putting our heart and soul into this. And uh, hopefully soon. I mean, <laughs> I'm trying not to say anything too important just because Michael and I are kind of those two guys that don't like to say something before it happens, you know. 
Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, everything's been going great, and hopefully soon uh, things could be started get start getting more professional. Because anyone who follows us know that we started in my garage. Now we've moved to a basement, and hopefully the next move is a little bit better. But uh, thank you for your support and for letting me talk about this a little bit. No, not a problem, and uh, can appreciate that. It's certainly privileged information. But um, guys, check out their site. Uh, they they did a couple of recaps on some of the games while they were out there, uh, and in you know. The, to me, there's not much better place to uh, to do a recap than in front of the Duomo in Milan. That was pretty. Yeah, that was pretty cool. so beautiful. <laughs> and then when when you have uh you know the Italians around you always jumping in and you feel the culture and uh, you know the rivalry that's there. I, a few girls jumped in our videos and they all hated Juve and I'm a Juve fan. And uh, <laughs> you know Mike Mike likes Milan, so there's one girl who likes Milan. So it's just it's just hilarious and I love it and Italy's oh, amazing and hopefully we're out there a little bit more. Has Mike finally picked the team? Because the other three times we've had him on, he he didn't have a loyalty. Listen, Mike's that type. He's never gonna. He he, he is a general fan, but he does favor Milan a little bit. He knows. Uh, I caught him a few times slipping when we we went to play some uh, calcetto when we were out there, and uh, one of the like the first question, of course, these old men asked us was like, "What team do you like?" So I was like, "Juve." And one of the one of the captains was like, "All right, you're not being on my team. Go on those guys' team." <laughs> and Mike. They asked Michael, and, you know, he's still learning Italian, so he says, Milanista, and then they're like, all right, come on, come over. <laughs> so it's pretty funny. Very nice. <laughs> yeah, it, it, Milan is one of the better cities that, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm biased, uh, given you and the fan, but uh, when my wife and I honeymooned there, you know, nine years ago to this day, we were flying out there. So got to go to the Derby, uh, Mourinho's first Derby, Ronaldinho, Ronaldinho's first Milan goal, you know, pretty sweet on that level, but just the city of Milan was just awesome. We happened to be there during Fashion Week, so the Duomo, uh, the square in front of it was was crowded on a couple. You know, we were there for the last couple of couple of days of Fashion Week. The square was crowded. I think the Jonas Brothers were on the balcony of the Galleria on MTV Europe up there, or something like that. It's pretty interesting stuff there. But you know, some of the sightseeing that we did got to see the Last Supper painting. Uh, you know, some of the other things around there, side trip to Como, all that other stuff. I could. I could just get into a podcast about everything that my wife and I did for the two weeks that we were out there. It was, uh, yeah. it was, it was incredible, but no great stuff. And, uh, good to see you guys really, uh, you, you know, pushing things along and, uh, uh, and doing great things for Serie A and for the, uh, for the Italian game. Again, thank you so much for that. You too kind. Real quickly. Do you want to give uh, a quick plug on where, uh, the listeners can find your content? Yeah, I mean, uh, if anyone's interested in Serie A content in English, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably are. But uh, yeah, at ISTV Official on Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, basically everywhere, Facebook, Italian Football TV, and YouTube is our main thing, uh, Italian Football TV on YouTube, yeah. Yep, look them up, excellent stuff as always. So uh, let's dive right into this Match Week 6 slate, shall we? Now, with Richard gone, also gone is that silly transition music. And uh, unfortunately, one of my favorite parts of our podcast, Lega Serie he's in charge of all of that. So we're not we're going to give all that a week off. But when Richard's back, we're going to have that plugged right back in. But don't worry, Marco and I will uh, uh, make up for it with our uh, hot takes on everything that happened in Serie And we're going to start uh, with a game that was near and dear to Marco's heart, uh, the Derby della Mole at the Alliance Stadium. Uh, Juventus v Torino. We had seen Torino make some very interesting strides over the first five match weeks. Uh, Juventus team that are are doing what Juventus is supposed to do through the first five games: beat everything, beat everything, and everybody in front of you. So, 15 points against 11 points going in was one of the more anticipated Turin derbies in quite some time. 
especially with the way Torino revamped their squad, all the talk about Juve. When is that other shoe going to drop? When are they going to have this drop-off? Because we haven't seen it yet. Well, uh, as usual, the main man for Juventus, Paulo Dybala, uh, got that sorted in the 16th minute with a goal to put Juventus ahead. Um, just eight minutes later, uh, Daniele Baselli picked a very bad time to exercise his kung fu skills, uh, received a second yellow and was sent off. And with Torino down to 10 men at the J, you can already imagine how the rest of the game was going to go. And it went to script. Milan Pjanic scoring in the 40th minute uh, just before just before halftime there. That put the old lady up 2-0 and pretty much killed this game off. But uh, just for good measure, uh, goals from Alexandro in the 57th minute, and then Dybala netting a brace in the 90th minute uh, to give the Bianconeri a 4-0 win. Let's start with Juventus, Marco. Rumors of their demise greatly exaggerated, aren't they? I mean, I feel like we start hearing that uh, every year when they have you know a few bad games or Juve, typically Juve, you know, grinding out these wins. In the first five games, they, they weren't great, especially... That match against Barcelona was the time where everyone was like, ah, oh, Juve's done, Juve's done, Iguain, he can't score, this and that. But I think uh, this was the first game this season that we really saw Juventus play well. We really saw Juventus gel together. The midfield finally looked good because the midfield's been one of the biggest issues I've had with the team the past year and a half, two years. Uh, and I think they looked really, really, really solid. Like you said, I was actually expecting a lot more from Torino because Torino came into this match in like fifth or sixth place. They had they racked up some good points. It was against smaller teams, but still for Torino, it's, it was really good. But I mean, Torino put absolutely zero on display and Juventus were almost at their best. And they did what, uh, what Juventus do a lot of these times. It wasn't well, a nice derby de la mole though, right? Yeah, yeah, you can't. You're, you're, you're certainly not complaining. Um, I, I would have, <laughs> I, I think obviously the Baselli red card uh, very much warranted, um, played a big part in how this game was going to turn out. You can't go to the J and, and, and get to a point where you're down to 10 players for, you know, well over 60 minutes, 65 minutes. That's pretty much bringing a knife to a gunfight at that point. Um, you know, so, uh, on that token, and we'll just kind of get through Torino on this real quick, really hard for them to make any fair evaluation of them, uh, with that incident with Baselli, because from there on out, you know, considering what Juventus does at home, considering their dominance at home, considering a red card and having to play on 10 men for 65 minutes for Torino, it was really damage control. And really, we didn't see the uh, we didn't see the best Torino we could possibly see. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I yeah. agree. And uh, none of them were on were on their game, really. It was it was poor from Torino, especially. But I mean, then on the other hand, you say, listen, I mean, they were getting criticized. Like we, we praised Torino a little bit in one of our recaps before this game and uh you know a lot of the comments were like yeah let's wait till we see them play a juventus because it's going to be the first real challenge for torino you know can they be this dark horse uh hard to tell i mean when you're playing juventus or you're playing napoli or you're playing one of these top teams in italy it's always hard to judge like a team like torino but i was disappointed because i expected from a mihailovic team a little bit more fight but like you said that baselli red card definitely changed the game um we've Asked, we had uh, Gregory Caltabanis on uh, a couple of weeks ago as we put the spotlight on Juventus. We've been doing this uh, pretty regularly where we try to spotlight a team each week. Um, and, and I'll ask you what we were, I wasn't, you know, I was sick during that podcast, but Richard asked this on my behalf. 
Blaze Matt Tweedy, is is he eventually is this eventually going to be a full takeover for Sammy Kadira? Um, that's a very good question. I think uh Kadira has been one player that I've been extremely critical of. Uh just because of I mean, he's had injury problems. He's a little bit slower than he used to be. He's an incredibly intelligent player. But Matuidi really balances extremely well right now with Midal and Pjanic. Uh, and we haven't seen Pjanic do good for Juventus since he joined. Another one that I've been extremely tough on. And I think most people who watched Roma and watched him at Roma could say that he hasn't been the same player. And we're starting to see these the, the real Midal and Pjanic now because Matuidi is really helping him in that midfield. He's extremely physical. He makes up for a lot of that dirty work. Pjanic doesn't have to do that dirty work. He could do what he does best, best, which is set up plays, uh, play good, great balls, and and pull the strings a little bit more. Uh, so I think that it's it's what Juventus's game plan this Mercato was: build depth. It's so Juventus are so <coughs> underrated in how much depth that they have. They could field a second team that could virtually compete for the Serie A. And it's especially in the attack and in the midfield a little bit less. But if you get Marquisio, Kedira, Matuidi, Pjanic, Bentancur, who's been given so much room by Allegri, he's been instilled with a lot of trust. I mean, five midfielders for two spots for three competitions is good. I mean, there's good turnover. It's not really who goes where. It's whoever's in the best form. And it's good to have this kind of healthy competition. And if you got a guy like Kedira on your bench, you're blessed. Never hurts. Definitely can have him in and rotate and... You know, to your point, to the point about Matuidi, I certainly find him to be more rangy, which can allow Pjanic to maybe take some more risks in the midfield that he maybe can't take with Kadira uh, as his partner. The player that's near and dear to your heart, I'm just going to go ahead and, and take credit. I, I, I go to Twitter about Dybala uh, after his performance against Barcelona. He nets a hat trick against Sassuolo. Uh, I write about him in my blog last week, you know, trying to initiate the debate about whether or not he's world class and maybe what he needs to do to get to world class. He gets a brace here in the derby. Uh, your thoughts on Dybala. I, my, my, my take on it was, and I don't know if you read that, I'm close to making to naming, to naming calling him world-class, and now I also am going to make you understand I'm very strict with who I say is world-class. Um, I'm very close. I want to see it in a game where Allegri changes the tactics like he does at Barcelona or in the final against Real Madrid, and he has to be able to adapt and stamp his presence on a game. Are you with me there yet? Or, or, or I think that's coming. It's just not it, – it just hasn't happened yet. What do you think? No, I think you're absolutely correct. I mean, I think we've seen Dybala, who is incredibly talented. Let's remember he's 23 years old, which exactly. is extremely young uh, to label someone as world-class. There's only very few, I think, that you can count on your hand that are under 23 that you could consider world-class. Um, right. But I think this is the season of Paulo Dybala. <laughs> I just feel it. He stepped up with the number 10. I think that – Absolutely, you are correct. That um, it's, I mean, it's Serie A. He already almost has as many goals as he had last season. He's got 10 goals last year. He scored 11 and 31. He scored 10 and 6. But I think the real test is going to be how he can lead the team in the Champions League, especially because in the Serie A, these first six games, he's been an incredible leader, not just scoring goals, but if you really watch Paulo Dybala as he plays, he's becoming a leader to this team in the way he acts. Um, just overall, you know, how a leader acts. He's moving into that role, and I think he's going to need to pull the strings a lot more in uh, in the Champions League, this, especially this year, where it's going to be extremely vital. The pressure's on him, but that's also a good thing because he seems like a kid that needs the pressure. And last year, um, I know you mentioned like the final against Real Madrid, uh, but 
I mean, no players played well in that final, let's be honest. And I think that uh, sometimes we put a little bit too much pressure on these, like trying to label them right away, world-class, world-class, world-class. Listen, sure. it doesn't matter right now, you know? Let's watch and enjoy Paulo Dybala as he continues to play. And after mm -hmm. we go past a little bit more than six games, then we could determine if we want to how he is. But I think uh, this is going to be the season of Dybala. Okay, okay. And, and, and clearly he's off to a good start. He's ahead in the Capocannieri race at the moment and uh, doing some really good things. So what do you think? Uh, what do you think about him? I, How he starts? I I think his start in Serie A has been fantastic. I'm at a point where he should do what he's doing against the likes of Sassuolo against Genoa. And I'm just, you yeah. know, I'm, na I'm, I'm naming off the away matches. You know, I've, I've been saying all along at home and I said it in my blog, if he got to play every game at the Alliance stadium, he'd be on the stage with Ronaldo and Messi every year for the Ballon d'Or, you know, <laughs> Um, but it, the, some of these away fixtures, some of the shifts in tactics from Allegri where he'll seed possession, he tends to not be there. And I think the, the game at Barcelona here recently was, was proof. And you, yeah, you said, I mean, everybody was poor in the, in the Champions League final, especially in the second half. Um, you know, it, that's where I want to see, okay, when Allegri goes to more of those Catanaccio tactics, he's got to be the first man to demand the ball when it's won. I want to yeah. see more of that from him. Get away from guys that are marking from him and limiting in the space and being the guy that just kind of takes it by the scruff of the neck when Juve have the ball in, in those conditions. Be able to adapt to different game, when different game conditions demand different things of him. So Absolutely. Um, and I, I'm, almost, to... I'm almost there with him. I mean, Zlatan Ibrahimovic had this problem for years. He was great against the weak and the sad, but then when the bright light shone, he, he was nowhere to be found. And then... He just made a reputation of winning titles, and everybody just said he's a world-class exactly. striker. I so, mean, that's what I was just going to say. There's more what you would call smaller teams in the Serie A, and those are the games that really win you the Scudetto. And when, exactly. you have, when you have a strike force of Cuadrado, uh, Dybala, uh, Douglas Costa, Mandzukic, Iguain, Bernadeschi, I know I'm forgetting someone, you don't always have to be that guy, even if it's not in the big games. If you're getting these kinds of wins against a more provincial size, if you want to call them, once it comes to that stage where you have to grind out that 1-0 win against a bigger side like Roma, like Napoli, like we've seen from Juventus in the past, it's not about who scores the goals. It's about who comes away with the title at the end. And I think Juventus has just been the more united side with mm. the most quality impacted in them. And that's why mm. they've really won the title. Sure, sure. Let me ask one follow-up question to this. When... It when they go to Barcelona, when they go to these games where Allegri sets the team up to say, hey, we're going to possess it maybe 40 to 45%. It's not going to be like at home where we have it 60 to 65% of the time. Does Gonzalo Higuain hinder what they can do going forward under those circumstances? Um, you know, in particular, a player like Dybala. But do you, do, does Gonzalo Higuain and his style, does that tend to be a hindrance to that style of play? That was asked my, last week on our pod. In, in my opinion, no. In my opinion, a player like Gonzalo Higuain is never a problem to any team. You can put him to almost every team in the world, and he's going to do great. I think that there's a lot of uh, stigma around him right now just because he hasn't scored much. But he's the type of guy that's going to score one goal, it's going to open it up, and this guy's going to score every single game, and then everyone's going to forget about uh, the, you know, the drought that they're calling it. And I think that, just to comment a little bit more on that Barcelona game, I think it's a little bit ridiculous how some people have judged that game, especially uh, maybe even a lot of Juve fans, just because 
you can't really judge off one game, especially early on in the season where you always have these rough patches. Listen, Juventus, you never want to lose 3-0, especially to Barcelona. But let's not forget that last season, they beat Barcelona over two legs, 3-0, and Messi was nowhere to be found. Yet no one will question Messi because obviously Messi is Messi. But uh, my, my point is that you can't make your complete judgment just on that one game, you know, based off that one game, especially sure. with Juventus that they that they, they start were, off their season slower. And they were definitely not full strength for that game. The injuries at the back line, um, you know, when when Mattia De Silio is starting on the right in, in back, that's a problem. Um, so, <laughs> no, absolutely. I think I think we're in agreement on that. I feel your pain, by the way. <laughs> it's Thanks all right. For- I'll take it now. I'll take it now, and uh, just later on, hopefully, uh, the good guy <laughs> upstairs helps me out. <laughs> let's get on to the other games. We could talk Juventus forever, but let's get on to some of the other games. So, um, uh, the other two, there were two other games on Saturday. The early one, Roma at home against Udinese, and this was pretty much over in the first thirty minutes. Uh, it was actually over by halftime, and the stamp on it at halftime. Aiden Jekko popping up and scoring again in the twelfth minute. Goals from Stefan El Sarawi uh, in the 30th and 45th minute. Uh, a consolation for Udinese Stryger uh, popping up and scoring late uh, to deny a uh, clean sheet win for the Giallo Rossi. Uh, but three points nonetheless. Um, Roma, Marco, uh, under Eusebio Di Francesco, I mean, take away that awful 20 minutes at home against, against Inter. This is a really good team getting it done without some some interesting departures. They 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 lose Rudiger, they lose Paredes, they lose Salah, and they're still plugging along. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of Roma is one of those teams that actually have been completely pushed off, uh, pushed <laughs> aside the Scudetto race, and I'm guilty of it too. You know, I think it's still between Napoli and Juventus. But I mean, man, Roma are bagging goals and they're making it look simple. Um, and Jeco six goals this season, pretty good for him. And I think that Di Francesco, I think he has more points than Spalletti did at this point last season. Still early on, but they made some good moves. Kolorov has looked fantastic. I really like him in the left back. Uh, I mean, but the thing is, we're also talking about uh, Udinese, and Udinese is extremely lucky that there are two teams, Benevento and Elas Verona, in the Serie A. Otherwise, they'd be struggling for relegation zone this season. You're going to liken my blog uh, when it comes out this week. Uh, I, I do have a little nugget about goals allowed. You know, we, talk, we talked before the recording about, and we'll get into Napoli and how many goals they've been scoring, but the goals that have been conceded last season, Cagliari gave up the most goals, 76. And right now, Udinese, uh, Hellas Verona, and Benevento are all on pace to shatter that number. Um, <laughs> it's, just, uh, okay. it, it's just insane. <clears throat> kind of, and we had uh, we had Sonia Misio last week on to spotlight Udinese, and you know the agreement was this is going to be kind of a this is going to be pulling teeth for the uh, uh, the Friuli outfit, um, parted with a lot of veterans, especially on that back line. So you could you could understand the struggles and some of the goals that they've been conceding, uh, and then a reliance on some on some young players, um, you know to uh, you know to pick up the mantle. You know, I mean, you part with a a regular double-digit goal scorer every year in Cyril Terro, uh, and you're asking Maxi Lopez to come in and fill his boots when, you know, Maxi Lopez hasn't taken on that kind of responsibility in at least five years. Um, yeah. And when he has, he's done it poorly. Um, I mean, it just kind of tells you the state of Udinese, but it's kind of grin and bear it. I mean, there's some good young players there, but this is going to be one of those uh, growing pain kind of games for Lu- Luigi Del Neri's team, don't you think? 
Yeah, I agree with you. And when he came in last year, you know, the team was doing bad. And when he came in, he actually helped them. <laughs> and they did a lot better ever since Del Neri came. But this season, I mean, they started it awfully. I'm, a, I'm in agreement with you. It was, it's not good for them. And I'm, I'm telling you, they are so lucky that Benevento and Ellis Verona are like, I mean, they're, they're worse than them. They're not that much worse than them. But they're really lucky that they got those two teams there. I agree. Absolutely. It's, uh, you know, going to be growing pains for them. You know, I still think they're a 14th, 15th when this table actually shakes out and everybody plays everybody. That's right around where they're going to be. I think there's enough quality for them to survive, but uh, yeah, uh, yeah. there's going to be some very nervous moments for the uh, for the Zabeta and their supporters. Uh, the Saturday night game ended up being a thriller. Might have been the best game of the weekend. Uh, Spall at home uh, against Napoli. They're trying to pick up the numbers. They got off to a nice start to the season. It's it's bottomed out since they had some losses. Very pesky in midweek last week against Milan. Uh, ended up losing that two nil and lost on two penalties. Uh, and uh, they, in fact, opened the scoring through Pasquale Schiatarella in the 13th minute. Uh, and the uh, the home side, there's only 8,500 seats in that stadium. That's 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 wow. That's intimate intimate feeling right there, uh, especially with a team like Napoli coming in. Uh, but what we always say here at the Serie A sit down, you're at your most vulnerable after you've scored a goal. And just a minute later, Lorenzo Insigne equalized uh, to make it 1-1. Uh, it would end up being that scoreline at halftime. Uh, there wouldn't be another goal again until the 70s. Hard to, hard to believe that with a Napoli game, but uh, but then they came in bunches. Uh, Jose Callejon scores in the 72nd minute uh, to put Napoli ahead, but the hosts uh, made a game out of it and tie it just six minutes later on a free kick by Federico Viviani. Uh, and then it looked like maybe Spall was going to get a point here. Uh, but five minutes later, Fauzi Gulam pops up and scores for Napoli. Uh, the Partenope win 3-2. Uh, Marco, um, let's just get this out of the way. We're learning really quickly with all due respect to Inter, Lazio, and Roma, and Milan, who we'll talk about in a little bit. Uh, this season is quickly, and after, especially evidence from the first six games, this is about Napoli v. Juventus uh, for 38, ma- 38 match weeks, and the rest of them are jockeying for position after that. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, Napoli. I mean, when this front three want to score goals, they turn it on and they score goals. Like, they are insane. They're, they're a machine. And Mertens is so good. Insigne is so good. I mean, I can't, I can't even say enough about them. I was actually, I don't know if any of you guys watch uh, Copa 90, but uh, they were talking about the front three a little bit. And they're like, that front three should be... Um, should be illegal in like 37 countries or something. They said something funny like that. It was just staying in my mind. Uh, and it's true. I mean, they are so good. And Napoli are just they're playing beautiful football, which, as we were talking about a little bit before, it's attracting a lot of Serie A fans because Sarismo, all this stuff that's, that's going on. But this season, they're backing it up with wins. Yeah. They are not just playing good. They're also able to win the game dirty. And I think that's extremely important if you want a Scudetto. 22 goals so far through six games. That's a pace of scoring 139 goals in Serie A. I mean, going to be hard-pressed to keep that pace up. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. There, there, there's no doubt about it. And, uh, you know, not that it'll have – Matt. you know, because last year they were able to prove otherwise, but uh, bad news for the Partenope. Arkadiusz Milik, back from his ACL injury – you know, started to get some games, started to score a couple goals, start building a couple, building a little confidence. 
he has torn his other ACL uh, and will obviously be out for a very long time, if not the uh, the remainder of the season. Just, uh, you know, one of those, Marco, that's just, uh, you know, promising talent. And now uh, now the injuries are piling up and this poor guy just can't catch a break, can he? Feel so bad for him. I mean, yeah. last year he was so unfortunate with his knee and a good time when he was scoring. And now it's his other knee. And uh, hey, I, I really feel bad for him, especially at a time where he was, you know, he just came back. You feel strong. You feel confident. You're starting to get that fitness up. And he worked hard to get back. And then to just be like, you know, sucker punched with one of these is just, it sucks for Milik. It sucks for, for Napoli as a whole, too. I know they, I mean, Mertens exploded when Milik got injured and he was forced into that, like, center forward role. But I think that this is going to hinder them a little bit. If you look at the depth that they have, Compared to, I mean, they sold Pavoletti and wasn't it Zapata as their other yeah, center forward? Zapata's over at uh, at Sampdoria. I, that's scary. That's a little bit scary for me. You know, you got to make sure, keep your fingers crossed that everyone's healthy, that, uh, you know, they're playing in three competitions, and I expect them to do some good stuff in the Champions League this season. That they, I, I don't know, it's a little bit scary. January's a long way, away, uh, far away, long way away if you're, uh, if you're hoping on the center forward. Yeah, and speaking about January, there was, I think, a couple of uh, rumors out there that in January they could. They do have Roberto Inglese that they purchased from Chievo and then sent back on loan. Already seen a couple of rumors out there that they may recall him from loan uh, when the January window opens. Uh, yeah. So that would that would definitely help and give a little bit of depth, uh, you know, to Napoli's front line. But, uh, you know, now they're, they're at a point. Yeah, I mean, now they're at a point where, fingers crossed, Insigne, Mertens, Callejon better all stay healthy now. <clears throat> um, you know, and then they've also got the uh, the young player that they brought over from uh, Bordeaux, Adam Unas, who's yeah. more of a winger. Uh, you know, Sassari, he's shown that he can shift this stuff around. Um, you know, so, uh, it, and I, I think Napoli will just keep clipping along and said, hey, we had to do this last year. We know the routine. We'll get back, yeah. we'll, we'll get back at it, and we'll keep scoring goals, and uh, you know, hopefully somewhere down the line, Milik can be back. So, yeah, um, yeah. what's your account of Spal so far? I mean, they got off to, I mean, they had a heroic, uh, draw at Lazio to start the season. Then they beat Udinese and then they ran into a patch where they, you know, they, they can be forgiven for losing to the teams they lost to maybe not Cal, maybe not losing to Cagliari at home. Uh, but, uh, they're, they're a pesky little bunch, aren't they? I really love Spal. And I think everyone who comes from Serie B to Serie A needs to take a little note of Serie A because all the, a lot of these teams who come up from Serie B, and I've been a big critic of uh, this 20-league table Serie A this season just because I feel like the quality has gone so down, but Spal have been one of the teams that actually fight, that use their qualities to their advantage because they're pretty physical, and they went physically against Napoli, and they, try, they do not try to just beg for a draw. They try to actually play, and even when they're up 1-0, they believe. Listen, you're down 2-1 to Napoli, and you you believe enough to keep pushing forward and to get a second goal. I mean, it's it's amazing, and I think that more teams really need to learn for Spal. Forget about the defeat. You could lose to Napoli <coughs> any day. That's that's fine. The scoreline is not the problem in this one. It's the attitude, and I think a lot of teams, if we if if more teams acted like Spal, we'd have a better Serie A. Yeah. I agree with you there. I mean, you, I mean, you, you look at their slate, and I, I applaud them, uh, you know, for being on four points and kind of the condition that they're in. They got the win over Lazio. They, or not, I mean, the draw with La, the draw at Lazio. Um, I mean, just ask Lazio, Milan, and Napoli how pesky they are, because 
you know, it took me two, two, two Milan penalties to beat them. Yeah. Um, you know, and then Napoli had to fight to beat them. And then even Inter, uh, in beating them 2-0, it took them some work to get it done. And those um, were in a row. That was, that was Inter, Milan, and Napoli in a row. That is not yeah. an easy schedule to play. Yeah, and you had that Cagliari game sandwich right in between there that they lost at home. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, 2-0. But yeah, to your point, that's a, that's a murderer's row slate. And, you know, maybe they don't have the points to show for it, but they performed admirably uh, in the process, and they're going to be a tough customer. And making me rethink, because before the season, I predicted that Hellas Verona was probably the best equipped of the three promoted teams to survive. And Spal, yeah, Spal has instantly made me rethink that. So Absolutely. So, Verona is you know, terrible. Credit to them, and they are not going to be the easy out uh, that the big boys think they're going to get when they play them. Uh, really, uh, really going to enjoy them going forward. So uh, let's get into Sunday slate. And the very first game on it um, was one that I can't believe I woke up so early for. Uh, Sampdoria 2, Milan 0. Juvan uh, Zapata scoring in the 72nd minute, and that was, that was assisted by Christian Zapata. Um, it was one of the most miserable efforts of a clearance I've ever seen in my life. I mean, he headed it right down to the guy's path. And then uh, Ricky Alvarez comes on as a substitute, and within seconds he dashes through uh, the space that Christian Zapata leaves for him and scores the goal that ultimately kills this thing off. Anyone that has listened to you guys, anyone that has listened to us, Knows that this shouldn't come as a shock. Sampdoria are good. They are very good. Um, they and and I said, you know, in my exchange of tweets with Matt Santangelo, I I, you know, I ultimately said, I said, you know, Milan <clears throat> won the Mercato with all of the brand names, but you could very easily argue Sampdoria had the second best Mercato uh, in Serie A, Serie A when you consider who they sold. Fine, but they got more money for them than they probably could have anticipated, especially Patrick Schick, when at the beginning of this of the Mercato, they were talking, you know, maybe 25 to 30 to Juventus, and now he, end up, he ends up going to Roma for, like, what, 42? So yeah. they end up getting more money for, for Schick. They got money for Muriel. They, they moved on for big money, and then they got guys that are basically plug-and-play, and they got them for bargains. You know, guys like yeah. Juvan Zapata, Gaston Ramirez. Um but for me, the best player in this match was Lucas Toledo, the midfielder. He's so good. He's yeah. so good. He's so underrated. Listen, anyone who knows our content, like you said, we worked with Sampdoria in April, and mm-hmm. they've become almost my second team in Serie A just because I, have, I keep in contact with a lot of the people there, and I just love them. I love their story. Um, and the moment I watched Toledo live, I instantly fell in love with this kid. He is mm-hmm. so good on the ball he reads the game beautifully even before this game i'm telling you when i watch him live he was something else he reminds me a lot of verazzi not just because of the height but the way that he plays and i think sam doria are another <laughs> one like you said a reference point for the league um a team who didn't just cash in on muriel and chic who were their two big summer sales sales um mm-hmm. they actually reinvested it into their team with a solid coach who they stuck by and Giampaolo's fantastic and I think that they're another one of these models, you know, not just selling your big players and keeping the money for the owner, you know, reinvesting, reinvesting it in talent. And some do you have extreme talent. And even more than the talent is the attitude that they displayed to take the game against AC Milan, who, you know, say whatever you want, you know, a lot of new players. Yes, yes. All these things are coming to a factor. 
But still, when you're Sampdoria and you know you're playing AC Milan, it's always that, that mountain and that hurdle in your head. And, and the best thing that I heard, and I think that sums this up the best, is Quagliarella after, after the game said, the reason, the difference between us and every other team is Gianpaolo. That he is our top player because he says no matter who we play, we need to go out, fight against, and try to win. He says yep. we do not sit back against any team. And I love that mentality. Yep, they're, they're, they're going for it in every game, and they should with the team that they have. Um, you know, and we've only just, you know, mentioned a few guys here. I think they're, you talk about maybe the, the, the big six when you got Napoli, Juve, Inter, Lazio, Roma, and Milan. Um, Sampdoria, to me, are in the best position to rock the apple cart as far as the European places go. Um, and I said that I was saying, I've been saying that before this game even happened. Um, but let's get over to the Milan side. Yeah. Uh, Jeez. Um, and uh, my blog, The Calcio Consultant, will be out here in the next day or two. Uh, and it is going to be all about Vincenzo Montella, good manager that is mismanaging this team. Um, I just look at the fixtures, uh, Sampdoria away, and then now that, you know, Rijeka in the Europa League and then Roma at home on Sunday. I don't think this was a game for Christian Zapata. This should have been a game for Matteo Musacchio. Um, you paid $28 million for him to play in games like this. He should be out there. Uh, you paid $40 million for Andre Silva. Where was he? Um, you switch to the 3-5-2, which has been good since they've switched it. It's what they want to do. You know, ultimately, that back three is going to be Mosacchio, Bonucci, and Alessio Romagnoli. The problem right now is Suso is having a hard time, and you can tell in these games, Suso's having a really hard time trying to find his space and trying to find his impact in this system. Are you seeing the same thing with him? Absolutely. I said in our video too, our recap. I was a little bit tougher on the three five two, but I agree with you on Suso that he's he's he doesn't fit in over there. I it's he excels in a four three three where he can be high and wide on the right. He can get he can go at defenders and you know it, you know, whether he cuts inside and creates his own shot, which he does brilliantly, or you know, feeds into the center forward or or or, or links up another midfielder. He's he excels at that. That's a big part of his game in the run of play. He doesn't get the room to do that in a 3-5-2 because you have someone like an Ignazio Abate who also wants to go forward, and he's got put license to play a little higher because he's got three defenders behind him. So now the flanks get a now he kind of Suzo gets crowded in that flank with whoever's going to be on the right, whether it's Abate or whether it's Calabria. Now pity that Andrea Conti is going to be out for a long time with he, another ACL injury. Um, <clears throat> but that's the that's one of the glaring things I see. Suso ends up playing inside a little bit more. And the partnership with Abate and Suso just isn't there, and it isn't the same. Um, every time Abate, and here was the other thing that frustrated me, every time Abate got it on the right and got anywhere near the final third, just passed it off to Suso and hoped Suso would do something with it. You know, he kind of just, he, he would get that far forward, he would get the ball and he would just give up. And it was just like, just once Abate, run at this defender, get it end line and cross it, get it to a Kalinic, get it to get it to somebody like that. And didn't I, I can't think of one time where he tried to run end line with a ball and cross. I don't even think Abate had a cross in this game. Um, you know, and now Suso's playing narrower instead of where he can maybe, you know, do some of the things that Abate's not doing. It just it that part of this formation just doesn't look right. <clears throat> the other problem is is it's a three four two one, not a three five two, and you've got Bonaventura who and even Matteo Bonetti made the comment watching the game. 
he's not ready. I mean, he's just he's he, from a fitness from a fitness standpoint and a workload standpoint. Coming back from his injury, it's it's clear that he's not ready to take take on the big role yet. So this is where it's frustrating me as a Milan fan. You pay twenty eight million for Musacchio. This is a game he should be playing in, not Christian Zapata. Play Christian Zapata against Rijeka, okay? Uh, play with two strikers against Sampdoria with Andre Silva and and Kalinic. Andre Silva's holdup play would have been a huge help for Milan. They could not get into that last third of Sampdoria's to save their life yesterday, you know. Um, and they had no shots on target either. So yeah. when you go back and look at the statistics, and, and part of that is is because they could not get a meaningful possession in Sampdoria's third, and a lot of it was a lot of stagnant and a lot of nobody knows where to go, and and you know Suso doesn't know where to go because Abate's trying to trying to come up on the right, and Bonaventura is trying to figure things out, and you've got Kajanic who's who's good on the you know on the end piece of things. He showed in the Udinese game, but <clears throat> he needs a partner up there, and he clearly didn't have one. I mean, I mean, these are just some of the frustrations that Milan fans are just going to have to go through right now until these guys all get it together and figure it out. Would you agree? No, yeah, and I think the three-five-two is it's it's literally one of the toughest formations to play because it's not easy to learn, and everyone everyone needs to be structured, and you need to know where to go, and it needs to be perfected. It's extremely hard, especially for a new team filled with a lot of new starters to just jump into a three-five-two. Uh, but even uh, aside, putting the formation aside, the attitude of the Milan players, I mean, they did not want this match as much as Sampdoria wanted this match, period. Oh, I agree with that. No they were flat. Was playing, no matter, and I agree with you what you said on who should have played, but no matter who you put in, Sampdoria wanted to win this match more than AC Milan wanted to win this match. And that, to me, even more than the formation, is the scarier part. And I'm not one of those who's on the... Hashtag Montella out train right now because I think that's ridiculous after six. No, I'm not either. To even talk about that, it's like, come on, guys, you, you got to have a little bit of logic to to say it's six games is a whole new team. Uh, but I think that um, I like Fusca's words after the game. Milan cannot do this against teams like Sampdoria. They need to respect. I think Montella needs to respect an opponent like Sampdoria more. Understand that they're actually a lot better than maybe the team was set out to play on. Because it looked like they were going against Udinese again. Um, and just the attitude was extremely poor. The body language, the chemistry, everything was off. New players or not, uh, I don't know. I, I wasn't happy with, with the way I saw that. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I mean, I agree with you. I think that everyone needs to calm down because obviously Milan is going to play better as the, as the season comes on. Uh, but it's going to be a challenge for Montella as he uh, he has to go through all this, especially with the media pressure, this and that. But I think that uh, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. Well, I mean, Marco Fassone was interviewed uh, uh, today, uh, you know, and he said that uh, he said that obviously this is not uh, the players did not represent the shirt. He was he was actually very critical. He said, you know, Max Milibelli and, and and Vincenzo Montella they talk more on the sporting side, but me as the CEO. This is not this is not the Milan I want to see out there, um, you know that uh, you know he was at Milanello today when they were at training and he could see it in the players' eyes that the players are disappointed and that they are determined to put it right. So there's at least that you know to feel good about unless Fasoni's just paying the fans lip service, which that's more you know, a PR move. Yeah, more of a PR move. But you know when you talk about Fasoni and Mirabelli, they they've been very you know and and, and David Amayal even said this they've been very transparent. You know, so yeah. 
you, there's no reason not to believe what Fasoni's saying when he talks. Um, you know, so there's a determination to put it right. They know they 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 know they had a poor poor game. Um, you know, they know there's you know they're, they're disappointed and they're professionals, and that's hopefully how they're going to conduct themselves. So, but yeah, the Suso the Suso thing is the one thing that's very glaring to me, and they better figure it out because they just extended him until 2022. Um, you know, so. So he's there for he's there for a few years now. So they they, they better figure out how to get it right. I, I won't give a, too many secrets away, but I offered about five different ideas that Milan could do to keep a three five two. But here's what they should do. Here's what they should do differently to make it work for you know for some of the players that are currently on the pitch. That's going to be in my Calcio consultant blog on WorldFootballIndex.com coming here in the next day or two. Uh, you know, with a with a couple of other blurbs. So, you know, but in the end, it's <laughs> you know for for a team that's real still 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 really trying to come together it's six games played four wins two losses it's two points a game 76 points which puts you right in the thick of qualifying for the champions league next year um which is the pace they're at clearly they want to be better in some of these away games um you know and uh, i think with time they will be but uh, they better get it sorted soon because roma at home the derby and juventus all come in october yeah. so yeah i was gonna uh, say that it is a murderer's row uh, for the Rossoneri coming up. Uh, so, uh, you know, we will have a far better account of who they are uh, after they get those after, and, and what they'll need to do to adjust after they get through those games. So, yeah, just be ready for that one because it's not going to be some easy games. Yeah, I'm I'm already I'm, I'm looking forward to it, and I hope that they they come out with the right response. We'll uh, we'll have to see. Um, we'll get in now to the uh, multicultural portion of the program uh, of the recaps. There were. Four games that roll in that three o'clock Italy time slot. Uh, starting with uh, the game in Sardinia, Cagliari nil, Chievo two. We just spoke about Roberto Inglese. He popped up and scored for the Flying Donkeys in the 53rd minute. Uh, Cagliari uh, compounded their problems, especially Fabio Pisacane getting a red card in the 83rd minute. Uh, and Chievo would eventually put the game away with Mariusz uh, Stepinski uh, in the 90th minute uh, to give the. Uh, Again, give the Flying Donkeys an away win. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, two teams that, I mean, right now, Calgary defensively made a lot of changes. They're, they're, they're looking a little bit better, but, but, but plenty of work to be done. But uh, for a team that, if, if they want to at least try to challenge for a top half finish, a ninth or a tenth or something like that, where's Joao Pedro or where's guys like that in a game like this, right? Yeah, I mean, this was... Obviously, uh, I didn't see this match because they were all at that uh, 9, 9 a.m. Eastern time one. Yep. But, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not too surprised by this one. Kievo always been a solid team, especially under Rolando Maran. Um, and, yeah, I, I, like, simple. I feel like I really don't have anything uh, much to comment on this one. Both both solid teams. If it was a draw, it wouldn't surprise me, but a Kievo win doesn't surprise me either. Yeah, sometimes we just we just read the score and do the highlights and say we don't have to talk much more about this game. Let's move on. yeah. I thought yeah. I'd, I thought I'd, I thought I'd throw something at it. Roberto Inglesi popping up for another goal and you know and showing some form. And, and you know, Kievo have some pretty interesting attacking pieces, but uh, you know, defensively are are capable of being picked apart. Calgary just didn't exploit that uh, in this one. Uh, the next one we're going to get to. If you're listening and you went to this game, uh, you know, fair play to you. I don't, you know, I, I, hopefully somebody just paid you to go uh, or you got to go in free. Uh, Crotone 2, Benevento 0. But if you did get to go see this game in person or if you happened to catch it on TV, you were treated to the uh, future um, uh, of Juventus' midfield 
uh, Rolando Mandragora, and he scored a beauty uh, in the 43rd minute. Uh, Cotone would follow up this win with Marcus Roden in the 57th. Um, Benevento is exactly why Serie A might want to consider going down to 18 teams, don't, isn't it? Aren't they? Million percent, million percent. <laughs> it's so bad. I, I've been. I know. I get a lot. I've gotten a lot of criticism on my uh, on on our channel for saying that. But I think. I mean, I went a little extreme. I said 16 or 18 teams, just because. I mean, 18 for sure. Come on, we have to agree on that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 played six it's making, zero points. It's, it's making the middle teams worse. It's making those guys. You yeah. don't have to worry about relegation, and they're just safe. And everyone's yeah. just safe because almost two teams are close to being automatically down, you know? So there's a yeah, lot less Ca- urgency in their play. A Cagliari, a Chievo, a, a, you know, a, a Udinese, they, they can coast through yeah. this season and not have to worry because there's going to be four teams, just three or four teams eternally worse than them, and Benevento is one of them. I mean, exactly. I'm, it, 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 it seems like years ago that Benevento opened against Sampdoria and were actually winning. <laughs> their one yeah. goal that they have, they, they had a one nil lead, <laughs> you know, and Sampdoria ended up coming back and winning two one, but it's just, uh, wow. It's, it's, uh, it, it is a long, long road. And, uh, Cotone, um, I, I don't, I, I think this is a band aid for them. Um, they clearly still have problems. I mean, they, they have, they've had problems scoring goals. Um, I think the two flatters them, but at least a player like, you know, a, a, a player like Man, Mandragora, who's a, you know, who's a future star. Nice to see him pop up in a game like this and turn up and, and, and have a performance like he did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. I, I agree with you. I'm, I'm actually surprised that Crotona were able to back two in. Yep, yep, they did. So that actually uh, jumped their goal total from one to three um, on the season. So we're dealing with some teams that are really struggling. Um, the game that we did get to see in that multi package here in North America, Inter and Genoa, Oh, I, you know, was ready to anoint Mattia Padian as my goalkeeper of the week and the team of the week. He was just, he was fantastic. And then the goal by Danilo Di Ambrosio with three minutes left. Um, a misjudgment by Padian, which is unfair to him because he was phenomenal in this game for Genoa. But um, that was just kind of the beginning of the storyline. After Genoa gave up that goal, they practically self-destructed. Stefan, Stefan Omionga and Abdel Tarap both, Sent off uh, minutes apart in the uh, in, in the stoppage minutes. Um, if you're an Inter fan, Marco, do you just say so? What? It's three points, or, or are there are there genuine concerns here? I, I actually thought they performed well. You know, Mattia Perin is really that good as a shot stopper. Yeah, I think Inter looked really really slow. Nothing was clicking between a lot of their guys. Less so in the first half, but especially in the second half. They were really slow. Um, uh, Candrevo was not great. A lot of their... The midfield, to me, seems like a big problem to Inter. I'm not sold on Vecino. He was playing in, like, that kind of number 10 role, which doesn't really suit him to me. Borja Valero wasn't great. And I'm trying to think <laughs> who the other... Who was the other midfielder? Borja they Valero. had... Um, Joao Mario came in off the bench. Yeah. Uh, they had... Pat- they Obviously, they had their... Um, uh, Perisic, Icardi, uh, Candreva. Um, I'm trying to pull up. I'm pulling up Inter's lineup Brozovic. right now. Brozovic. Uh, yeah, yeah, Brozovic, he which he kind he of operates in a wide area. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I think the problem has been there. And they've Spalletti's clearly changed that a bunch of times. Like you said, Joao Mario coming off the bench, and he's trying to figure that out. 
Is he a center midfielder? Is he a number 10? Uh, but I think to your point where do you brush us off? Listen, to me, to me, and I, this is, I mean, not too bold, but some people have criticized me on saying this. I think that this is a characteristic of a Spalletti team. Getting the win late on, continuing to believe, get the three points and move on and learn how to play better. Inter have quality. Spalletti is a coach who knows how to make a team play good football. Get the three points. That's what's most important right now. And I wouldn't worry too much. I think that Spalletti is good enough to figure it out. And especially in these early days, it's kind of like pulling a Juventus, if you want to say. That not playing, you know, their best, but figuring it out as the season goes on. But as you figure it out, you don't lose or get a uh, get a draw. You pick up three important points. And I think that's huge for Inter. Yeah. Um, Perrin was fantastic for Genoa. Uh, kept a minute. Uh, they have a couple of games here where they got a chance. I mean, Bologna have been playing really well. They've got them at home coming up here on uh, Saturday. Uh, and then when they come back from the international break, they go to Cagliari. Uh, is it fair to say that Ivan Juric has to get at least a win out of those two games or uh, he's going to be sacked again? I think it would be a mistake. I think that Udic proved that he shouldn't have been sacked uh, by Genoa that time because when he was sacked, the January before that, they sold Pavoletti and they sold a few other of their players who were like some of their best guys when they ended up beating Juve that time. I think that uh, Udic should stay. And I don't think you can blame him. I mean, at the time that he was sacked, they lost Mattia Padden for the season. And when they lost Mattia Padden for the season, the, the Genoa self-destructed pretty much. Um, yeah. And... You know, they, you know, they tried to make Judith a scapegoat and they realized it was a mistake. And luckily exactly. enough, he was willing to come back. Uh, I, I agree exactly. with you there. I thought I'd just ask the question just to see what your thoughts were, because, uh, you know, the Genoa ownership can get a little itchy sometimes, like, you know, the Udinese sure. ownership. And we don't have, you know, we don't have Palermo in Syria, so we got to find out which owners, you know, are going to get, <laughs> are going to get itchy, are going to get itchy this season. So, um, you know, so, so maybe he's a candidate because he's already been sacked before, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, they also moved on from a couple of key pieces. I mean, Giovanni Simeone was obviously bagging goals for them last season. They don't have him, so they're trying to figure it out. Pietro Pellegri, obviously, his his story is being pretty well documented here. The young man that uh, um, he seems to be assuming a pretty heavy load here uh, uh, under uh, you know under Ivan Juric, the 16 year old. He had the brace uh, last week, so. You know, I mean, and there's some pieces at Genoa. I mean, they're not going to they're not going to crack the top 10. They're not going to threaten for any of that. But certainly, um, you know, with what they have in place, I certainly expected a little bit better than where they're sitting at the table. So but they've got a couple of games here where they have a chance to get it right. And let's see if they actually do. So, yeah, um, uh, Hellas Verona nil Lazio three. Uh, another brace for Chiro Immobile. And then it was Adam Marusic rounding out the scoring. Uh, to give the Bianca Celeste a 3-0 win. <sighs> fair, fair to say we would be talking about Chiro Immobile a whole lot more if Paulo Dybala wasn't doing what he was doing at Juve. <laughs> that's, that's very true. It's just uh, he's on a scoring tear, and he's just trying to keep pace. Um, another brace. I think he, he had a hat trick in a recent game. Um, you know, a needed bounce-back performance for Lazio after what happened at home against Napoli at midweek. Would you agree? Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, of course, that could always be demoralizing. But, I mean, they're also playing against Elis Verona, and I really wasn't expecting anything more than... I mean, 3-0 doesn't surprise me at all. 
considering the way Alice Verona's defense has played. And Chido Immobile is on fire. I mean, he is doing so good. I think he's got, he's up there for the top five best uh, goal-scoring ratio, I think, in Europe with Dybala and, like, the usual crew. I think it's Messi and a few others. Uh, and I think that um, he's a striker that I'll admit that I've always not given maybe enough credit, especially seeing that he always seems to bag in some goals. Uh, but, listen, I love that he's proven me wrong. I love to be proved wrong. And he's, like, one of the only Italians up there. So I love seeing that. Yeah, it's a bit of a rejuvenation since he returned to Lazio after some disappointing spells uh, with Borussia Dortmund and with Sevilla. We've talked about that before. Uh, he, he certainly has found it, and not only going to be important to Lazio, uh, you know, but important to Italy uh, as they press on here in their quest for qualifying for the World Cup. Um, Simone Inzaghi um, really defying the odds. I mean, you move on from Bilia, you move on from Keita Balde. Um, you get a couple bargains. We're not thrilled with the Mercato when they're bringing in Lucas Leva and they're bringing in Nani on deadline day. Uh, but, but boy, they, they, they really buy into what he wants from him, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. I think he's one of the underrated managers. Um, and he's already been linked with, you know, a lot of big teams. And uh, their president, Lotito, who is, you know, not my favorite president in the league, but uh, he said... <laughs> um, he says Simone Inzaghi operates on love, and Lazio is a club where he has love. He's got belief, and this is a club that he wants to stay and build off of. And I think that uh, he's going to be one of the storylines that starts to come out of the Serie A, as uh, he's you know he's pretty boisterous. He loves to get in on those touchline celebrations with Milinkovic, Savic, and and all the players. And I I really love and appreciate what Simone Inzaghi is doing to Lazio because he's also giving them a new kind of face to a team that maybe a lot of people wrote off. Um, you know, even last season, and especially what he was, I mean, this is moving away from this week, but you know, what he was, what he went through with Bielsa, you know, they brought in Bielsa, he was an afterthought and he's mm-hmm. probably done better than what Bielsa could have done. I mean, there's sure. not much better than Lazio could be at. They beat Juventus in the Super Cup final. I mean, that's a huge feat. That's mm-hmm. uh, definitely, I mean, uh, you know, and I, I think they can be forgiven for the defeat to Napoli. Napoli are, are that good and they're going to do that to just about everybody. Yeah. Um, you know, but uh, all along, I was a little concerned when he put out a team at Vitesse in the Europa League and, and Immobile wasn't starting that, oh, are we not going to take Europa League seriously? I really, you know, and then they brought him on as a substitute and they came back and won that game. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, you know, but uh, he, yeah, he has his finger on the pulse of this team. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think... Uh, Talk of them dropping off has been uh, greatly exaggerated. That's uh, certainly that's something that Richard and I thought. We thought they'd be the team that finished pretty high last season. That would be the one that would be primed for uh, uh, for a bit of a fall. But they're certainly uh, they're certainly proving otherwise up to this point. How awful is Hellas Verona given all the veterans that they have? Awful. <laughs> that's a, that's <laughs> all we need to all we need to say, huh? <laughs> Literally, they're they're just awful. I didn't even. I, like you, I probably put Elas Verona as the Serie B club who I was excited for because I'm a huge Martin Cáceres fan. And I don't know, you got Pazzini, they got Moiskin, and a few others that I'm forgetting. Um, yeah, Cherchi certainly hasn't lived up to, to what they hoped they would be getting out of him. Uh, they need Casano, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they need Casano from about 10 years ago, not the one that turned up at preseason training this summer. <laughs> so. Definitely not. Yeah, I don't think you need that in your team. So, yeah. Uh, 
but uh, but yeah, Lazio or Lazio impressive. Verona has just been absolutely brutal. Uh, it's a, and disappointing considering the players that they have that you'd expect maybe a little bit more out of them. So, um, Sassuolo nil, Bologna one. This was a stalemate until uh, well, there would be a, a red card, a second yellow uh, for Sassuolo's Francesco Magnanelli, and then uh, just a minute from time. Orgi Okwankwo. I nailed that pronunciation. I'm proud of myself. 19-year-old wow. old from Nigeria uh, popping up and getting the winner for Bologna, uh, getting them a vital three points. Uh, how disappointed are you? I can't believe Sassuolo are this bad, considering the way Christian Buki played and had his team play at Perugia. Thought this would be a snug fit when you've got guys like Matteo Politano, Diego Falcinelli, Domenico Berardi. Yeah, they lost to Frel, they lost Pellegrini, but there's enough pieces in there. Is Sassuolo, I mean, we talked about Verona, Benevento, some of these teams are disappointed. Is Sassuolo the biggest underachiever so far? Um, I mean, I think that you forgot the biggest piece, which is Di Francesco. Yeah. And uh, honestly, to me, I wasn't that surprised with, with the way that they've been. I feel like Sassuolo, they really got hit hard getting that Europa League. Lost a lot of key players. Um, and he looked fairly average, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, it's almost a credit to how good a manager Di Francesco was at Sassuolo. Yeah. You know, I mean, because now he's going and doing it at Roma, uh, yeah. you know, to your point. But I think there was a lot of excitement for what Buki was going to bring, uh, you know, to Sassuolo. And it just hasn't clicked yet. Um you know, with Falcinelli coming back after being successful at Cotone, uh, you know, it's it's amazing to me that through six games, uh, they've only scored three goals. Uh, you know, I, I certainly th- I would have expected more out of them. But how about Bologna? I, you know, really they're on uh, they're on uh, uh, eight points. They're sitting eleventh. They really should be on ten. Uh, victim of a uh, bogus penalty at home against Inter at midweek. Uh, you know, uh, just a, 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 talk about Roberto Donadoni because I think when you look at them in preseason and then the early exit from the Coppa Italia, this was Roberto Donadoni was a lot of people's favorites to get the uh, to be the first manager to be sacked. But you know, he's got this he's got this team in pretty healthy shape right now. I think I think Donadoni's uh, he's a guarantee. You know, he's a coach that you know what you're going to get from him. He's very solid. Um, and he's, he's good. I mean, especially for Bologna, he's got some freedom to work. Uh, you know, let's be honest, like we said, Bologna is going to be in that kind of range where they are now. It's, they're not going to be a relegation battling team. Anything that they overachieve, great. If they don't, let's be honest, is their management really going to be that pissed? No, I don't no, think, I so. think that they'll, they'll be satisfied mid table, do their business and, 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 and carry on. So. Uh, and then they want to sell a bit. They'll try to sell a, a player for a lot of money, and that's it. And they, they have themselves a year. Simone Verde, probably at this rate, uh, <laughs> you know, the way he's playing. And uh, Giampero Ventura, I know you don't listen to this podcast, but I'm going to say it anyway. Simone Verde is better than Ader. So when you pick your team for these next World Cup qualifiers, Verde better be in it, not Ader. So <laughs> I, I swear to God, the last, and we talked about this when the last World Cup qualifiers for Spain, when you looked at the team, you swore that he didn't watch a single game. Of, of what was going on in Serie A or any of the other leagues. So, Dude, I really don't want to get depressed if we talk about Italy. It's going to be bad. Yeah, let's leave it alone. Thankfully, 
Thankfully, he has not named his call to Pizzuri at the time of this recording, so we don't have to talk about it. So Good. Um, the Sunday night game rounded everything out. Uh, Fiorentina and Atalanta. Uh, Fiorentina's golden boy, Federico Chiesa, popped up with a brilliant goal in the 12th minute to put La Viola ahead. Uh, this game got pretty contentious. There was a penalty for Atalanta in the 62nd minute uh, that uh, you would count on Papu Gomez to make, but Sportiello came up with the save. Uh, and uh, this was going back and forth. Remo Freuler ended up equalizing in the 90th minute. Noteworthy in this game. A little bit of VAR controversy. Uh, an incident in this game, Marco. Uh, Gil Diaz brought down, uh, of Fiorentina, brought down in the penalty area by Etri Perisha. Nope. Uh, clear, clear takedown if you look at some of the still pictures. Uh, our friend Chloe Beresford has it on her Twitter feed. Uh, she's also a Fiorentina fan. Um, but no penalty given. And then no VAR reversal either. Um, you know, so the game ends up 1-1. Uh, you know, Atalanta getting the point, you know, getting the, getting the away point. <clears throat> um, but there was a question, you know, and, and we'll talk about each team here shortly, Marco, but there was actually a question from uh, at C, Etchingham 77. Uh, was Fiorentina's draw the fault? Do you think Pioli should be at fault? Uh, or is it his players who just can't clear the ball properly? Or is it Babacar who can't score at the end of the game? He's asking is it a pretty loaded question. I mean, my reply to him was, I thought you would just have more of a beef with uh, the penalty that wasn't given in a VR situation. But, uh, you know, how did how did Fiorentina drop these points? I, I, you can't really blame Pioli for it, can you? Um, No. I think that uh, Atalanta, I want to give them credit. Because, um, you know, it's not easy to continue to believe, especially after you get uh, after you miss a penalty. They're, they're one of these teams. They lose so many pieces. But Gasparini at the helm. And, you know, we have so many amazing coaches in Italy. We're so spoiled compared to yeah, we are. all the other countries. Um, I mean, and he instills this belief where Atalanta is able to continue believing until the last, you know, 15 seconds of this game. Uh, and I think that Fiorentina definitely, definitely wrong calls from the referee. That was a penalty. And um, their director even went on TV, and he was pissed. I was not expecting that. If you can find that interview, go watch that interview, because he was pretty pissed. He yeah. said that VAR. He's like, what's the point of VAR? Let's get rid of this. Uh, he was pissed. And it's one of those learning curves of VAR. I mean, it's been, it's been great. Like, honestly, we're getting calls right, wasting only a minute, and which is a lot less than everyone protesting. But the problem has become still the refereeing error where – I don't understand why they don't quickly check this kind of call. And you don't even have to. I mean, it, it could be so quick for an official on the sideline to just check it real quick. If there's that many protests for it, if you're not a million percent positive, you got a referee right there on the side. Just check the call. You know, we saw this a few times. Not Fiorentina is not the only victim of this. <laughs> I can't think right now, but I remember that there was a few other teams who, you know, looking back, the referee never checked VAR. And it's not going to be perfect, but it's a lot better than before. Sucks for Fiorentina. Uh, but yeah, I, you know, funny that you said that, that you mentioned that, because I also heard what Pioli said, and he took the complete opposite stance of what Fiorentina's director said. Pioli was like, listen, I'm not interested in that. He's like, I'm interested in how we conceded that kind of goal. He's like, because those are things I can control. I can't, con- I can't control the VAR right now. He's like, even right. if I was said in the moment, I still need to think about how, how I can get my team to be better than continuing to go 15 seconds. And I think that's, that's a very good mentality for Pioli to, to have. Uh, yeah. It's a tough one. And uh, it's one of those, like, you're not going to get everything, you know? Like, as a, for Fiorentina, there's, there's always going to be some teams. It went out to Lanta's way today. 
And, uh, yeah, I, I think it was really Atalanta's day because they missed the penalty. They got all these uh, favorable decisions, and then they scored 15 seconds before or whatever. I mean, that's, that's good luck. I mean, as hard as it is for young players, managers have to continue to stress to players that you have to just play through those things. You've got to, you, you've got to do the best you can. I mean, yeah, some days you can, some days you're just going to get cheated, you know, um, or the human, I mean, there's a, there's a human element, there's a human element to officiating. There's a human element to being a referee. There's even a human element to the role that the, the, the guys in VAR are playing. Um, you know, we talked about it last week. Um, you know, your point, you said, yeah, there, there's, there's moments where they're getting it right, but overall, I think it's incomplete. And overall, I think it's inconsistent. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that I think each officiating crew is treating VAR differently. You know, I don't think they're all on the same page with how situations yeah. should be handled. You know, and, and, and I'm going to argue this. I made this point in my blog. I said, that's what I think you need to do with the VAR is, okay, it has, a, it has potential and it can work. But the officiating crews all have to be on the same page with how, to, how and when to use it. And to be consistent with it, and either be consistent with it or don't use it at all. And there's, I mean, people talk about wanting to scrap it. If you want, to, I mean, there's no shame in scrapping it if you don't think it works. But I think there's potential for it. But like I said, I think every officiating crew in Serie A or you know, or in you know, in in Italian football, uh, I think they've got to be able to all be on the same page for how and when it should be used in certain situations. I think it's it's very much a work in progress. Yeah, I think you said it perfectly. There's been some referees who abuse it, and I'm like, come on, like, don't go check it. Like, it was yeah. not worth it. But then there's other ones who are so stubborn on it. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a learning curve. I definitely think that we're better off having it and learning right now with it uh, mm -hmm. than anything else. You know, it's, it's, it's pretty different for Serie A to be the league that, that has it. So I think a, sure. lot of teams, a lot of leagues are going to learn from us, too. You know, after sure. seeing the mistakes that's happened here, they'll get better. But... I think overall VAR is still a positive for me. Yep. A uh, quick one on Fiorentina, because uh, we can talk about Atalanta when we preview Europa League. Um, Stefano Pioli's project, a lot of key players leaving. Uh, you know, the new players that are coming in were, are, are decent, but clearly not to the level of the players that left. Pioli, uh, right now with how the season's gone and where he's at with things, do you find Fiorentina ahead of schedule, behind schedule, or, or, or right about where you thought they'd be? Uh, I didn't. I didn't really have high expectations for them. I remember okay. seeing their first game. It looked like the players didn't even know each other's names because there were so mm -hmm. many new guys in, the, in that starting eleven. I think that they're extremely promising considering some of the talent that they have in that team, especially Federico Chiesa and Simeone being the obvious ones. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean. I'm not too surprised. I, I mean, I'm trying to think where they are in the table right now. Uh, they're they're 12th, uh, played six, uh, one, two, lost two, and drawn two. No, no, excuse yeah. me. I mean, one, two, drawn one, and lost three. Uh, they're 12th, uh, seven points. Yeah, I mean, I'm not I'm not too surprised by it. I think yeah. that they're still going to need time. I mean, they had a pretty tough schedule, right? They played Inter or Juve. Um, trying. I think they had a pretty tough schedule. Oh, I'm checking now. They they had Sampdoria too. Like those are all pretty tough teams. I mean, you don't want to lose to Sampdoria for Fiorentina, but still, uh, yeah. I mean, not too crazy. Pioli is a decent coach. Hopefully, he figures it out. Hopefully, he does go to for the youngsters. And I, I still, my prediction still has has been Simeone slash Chiesa as uh, the breakout star. So I'm hoping to see that that comes true. Yeah, Richard and I think that 
there this year's Sampdoria um, in that last year Sampdoria under Giampaolo really for the first half of the season, you know, underachieved, found themselves in the bottom half of the table for much of the season. And then after the new year, everything turned on. They got some big wins at some big places, uh, really grew in confidence, you know, and worked their way up the table. And I think that Fiorentina is undergoing that a little bit. I'm going to say they're slightly ahead of schedule. Um, You know, uh, getting blown out at Inter, I expected, but coming back and, you know, the only place they lost to Sampdoria was on the scoreboard. They outpossessed them. They created more chances. Uh, and then that effort showed when they beat Verona 5-0, which everybody's beating Verona, of course. Beat a game Bologna team 2-1. Gave Juventus a fight at the J. So I think they're slightly ahead of schedule. Um, I still, I, I think they'll be a top-half team. I don't think they're going to threaten for a European place. Uh, I'm in agreement with you about Federico Chiesa. I think he's going to be dynamite as the season goes on. Um, you know, and, and Simeone to that effect too. Once these guys get an understanding of each other, uh, yeah. so I, you know, I think that I think they're all right. Um, you know, I think they're in a they're in a pretty decent spot considering uh, all of the changes that they've gone through. So um, plus they've got the nicest kits in Serie so that always helps. <laughs> they're my that favorite. Purple, that purple is a pleasant sight, and plus Florence was my by far my Florence was my favorite city that I visited when I was out there. So so amazing. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. The food was to die for just everywhere you went. Um, you know, and we'll talk about Atalanta when we preview the Europa League. But as for the uh, week six slate, your thoughts on uh, on the games, on how the teams are doing, you can go to at City I'll Sit Down on Twitter or Instagram with your thoughts. Uh, so let's get into a quick look at Syria in Europe um, before we wrap this bad boy up. Uh, we'll start with the Champions League games, and uh, we're going to state the obvious here. Each one of these games are must-win. Uh, for our Serie A representatives. Uh, you have Napoli on Tuesday. They're going to host Feyenoord. They came off that 2-1 defeat at Shakhtar Donetsk. Uh, Roma are going to take the trip to Azerbaijan to take on Karabag. Uh, three points, definitely a must there for the Jalorossi. I mean, in fact, in, when they come back to Olympicos, to the Olympico, that, that's six points that Roma have to have if they're going to have any chance at a qualifying in a group that they're in with Chelsea and Atletico Madrid. Uh, Juventus, uh, in the comforts of their home, we'll get Olympiacos um, uh, from Greece. Uh, and uh, word, Marco, that Olympiacos, I think Olympiacos is his manager. I thought I saw somewhere that he just got sacked. Back today, yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, so must win games for all of these teams. I'll let you take the reins on Juve. What are you expecting from them on Wednesday? Um, well, my partner on the show is actually an Olympiacos fan in Greece since he's Greek first. <laughs> he doesn't watch him as much now, but he's still got that love for Olympiacos. And he tells me that this is going to be a 3-5-0 to five zero win for Juventus. He said Olympiacos is terrible this season. Yeah. They're in fourth place in the Greek League. And I think they won the league like seven times in a row or maybe yeah. more, like eight times in a row. And this is like the first year that they're looking bad, plus they sacked their coach. I mean, I never, I never like to, you know, just already have the game won before, but I'm expecting, of course, Juventus win. They got to get that Barcelona game behind them, start racking up these important points. And I also just want to see wins across the board for every Serie A team, always in the mm-hmm. Champions League at the Europa League, because I think every team has the quality to do a lot more than what we've seen so far and in the past few years from the Italians. Absolutely. And I think that Napoli get back on track against Feyenoord. And I think Roma are going to have to shake off the travel a little bit uh, when they go all the way out to Azerbaijan to play Karabag, but overall a game that I don't think that Roma are going to run away like Chelsea did against them. I think they're going to be happy to go there and win a 2-1, uh, you know, 2-0 kind of game as long as they can put three points in the bag. 
Uh, I think they'll be comfortable with that. Um, you know, I, I, I think Napoli are going to absolutely blitz Feyenoord. And I actually think I, I, I'm looking for Napoli and Juventus to come away with big uh, three point wins this week in the Champions League. Uh, and I get their nine points. That's yeah. What I want. I, and, <laughs> and, 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 and that should be expected of our Serie A teams with uh, the games they've got in front of them this week. Uh, absolutely. Get, Getting into the Europa League on Thursday, AC Milan will host Rijeka from Croatia. Uh, the big one, Atalanta traveling to France to take on Lyon. And Lazio will host Zulta Varagem from Belgium. Uh, Milan obviously in a get-right game, but an opportunity for them to have a little bit of rotation before the big one against Roma on Sunday. Uh, but uh, Lyon v. Atalanta is going to be appointment television for uh, even the casual fan, don't you think? <laughs> Absolutely. I missed uh, the Europa League games actually last time because I was on a flight back from Italy, and I was extremely pleased and surprised to see what Atalanta did against Everton. I mean, I was—I think I like screamed on the plane. That's how happy I was because yep. I wasn't expecting Atalanta to do that <coughs> against Everton. Always nice for an Italian te- team to give a little jab to the English, just for me. Uh, but yeah, uh, I mean, the games are exciting. Uh, I'm excited to watch. Uh, Europa League this week, and I'm hoping again nine points from all the Italian teams, even though it might be a little bit hard, but I think they could do it. I think Milan and, and Lazio are going to win win big and easy uh, on Thursday, uh, even if even if th- th- this is the kind of game where Milan could play guys like Patrick Cutrone. Um, you know, I, I think that Calabria will get a run out on the right. I think that Antonelli will get a run out on the left to try to spell some of these guys for the Roma game I've watched. I've uh, watched Rijeka a couple of times, uh, watching them in the Champions League playoffs for gambling purposes. And, uh, um, you know, uh, not uh, Milan could put up put, put some of their subs in this game and, and, and win this game, you know, 3-4-0 pretty comfortably. Uh, although Rijeka will certainly put up a fight. Let's not let's not make any mistake about that. And uh, Lazio, I think, are in a comfortable spot here, too. Zilta Varagam, they've been in and out of European competitions, but, you know, certainly... You know, not going to be able to match what Lazio can do at the Olympico. So the Leon Atalanta game, I think, yeah, I, I'd love to see nine points out of these three games as well. Uh, but you know, I, I would be more than happy to see Atalanta go to France and get a draw. Um, you certainly not lose the game, but I think that uh, if they can go there and and get out of there one one, I even think two two. I think there's going to be goals in that game. I think it's going to be a fun watch. Uh, that's uh, that's going to be interesting. So that's what we have to look forward to. Milan and Roma on Sunday. Uh, any early prediction on that for you? Milan and Ro- Roma is going to win. <laughs> I think so. I'm sorry. Given, given, good, given what I've seen Milan against tougher teams, which at Lazio, at Sampdoria, I'm inclined to agree with you. Um, the, the, Milan need to win, and they need to put a big team away with all of these new players. Uh, you know, before I can start saying, oh, we're going to win the Derby or we can we can beat Juve and all this other stuff. So, you know, they got to actually go out and do it against the big team. Now, the players are there and, the, you know, they just got to get it done. So um, but that's the one to look forward to in the weekend's action before we get away to the international break. And with that, we're putting a bow on this edition of the Serie A sit down. Marco, one more time, quick plug of uh, where our listeners can find you, where they can find IFTV. Well, again, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. Really fantastic for you guys to have this great listen. Um, and yeah, if you want to see any of the content that we produce, uh, Italian Football TV, basically on any platform you could think of, we're there, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, Snapchat, anything else? 
No, I think that's it. <laughs> well, we don't. I hope you realize that uh, we at World Football Index, we don't have a budget where we can pay guests for compliments like this. So the the, the fact that that comes from the heart from you, Marco, we really appreciate it. <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> no, thank you, thank you, uh, thank you again for jumping on. It was uh, uh, great catching up with you and great uh, always always great chatting with you and love the content over there at IFTV. Uh, you can find me at FTC underscore twenty one. Uh, the Calcio consultant will be your uh, typical blog entry this week where uh, someone is in my crosshairs. This time it's Vincenzo Montella. Like I said, his uh, maybe his mismanagement of Milan here, especially this week, with some ideas on how it can be tweaked, uh, along with uh, some other smaller blurbs. And uh, my team of the week uh, for match week six will all be found in that. Uh, you can go to at Serie Sit Down on Twitter or Instagram. Give us your thoughts. Ask any questions, anything you want to hear uh, for future podcasts. We are uh, getting the queue going for getting guests on future pods, and we're excited about uh, a couple of people that we're going to have in the coming weeks. So, uh, you know, keep listening. And as always, uh, thank you very much uh, for listening. Be sure you tell your paisans about us. Ciao. <laughs>